Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Skip Sorrells, Director of Cybersecurity with Ascension Health. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. Skip, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Anthony. Pleasure to be here. All right. Very good, Skip. Uh, let's start off. Tell me a little bit about your organization and your role. So I I work for the infrastructure um, arm of Ascension Health, known as uh, Ascension Technologies. And um, we have about 5,000 people that make up the infrastructure teams. But as a whole, Ascension uh, Health is anywhere from, you know, 130,000, 150,000 employees, 2,500 plus locations across the United States. And depending on which metric you look at on any given day in the top three largest nonprofit healthcare providers uh, in the United States. So get a okay. little bit of a sprawl well, there. Yeah, a little bit. Of, okay. Okay. Any idea how many hospitals? Just out of curiosity, not a big deal if you don't know. Um, the locations are are all considered um, patient care centers, whether mm -hmm. they're hospitals. Uh, I think the hospital counts around 125, 130. That's big. <laughs> That'll do it, right? Yes, sir. Big, please. All right. Very good. So Ascension Technologies is technically a, a company, correct? Sort of technically its own entity in a sense? I, I believe so. From from oh. a finance book standpoint, I believe that's correct. Okay, so you provide services to Ascension. Um, do you provide services to any other health systems? No, okay. no, we're we're a wholly owned subsidiary, if you will. Okay, so just one customer. You got one big customer. Correct. I that's wonder right. if um, that type of dynamic, you know, so a lot of health systems uh, don't have that sort of separate entity um but we always you know use the terminology and want to treat our users like customers in a sense and we're a service department um sort of being a little more technically your own entity does that help foster a customer dynamic you think i think it absolutely does because everyone that has an association to what ascension health is about um, is has a heart for the mission, um, <clears throat> the mission of, of the, the hospital and the organization, the care of the poor, and um, care care of those in need. So we're, we're all aligned with that. Um, and a clinician in the organization is a peer to me. It doesn't matter what what it says on the paycheck or what you know budget my money comes from. We're, we're all in it together for the, the care of people. Do you think it's sort of technical reasons? Um, are there any uh, advantages to being sort of somewhat of a separate entity as opposed to not? I mean, any thoughts there on why, why to do it or why not to do it? They may be technical legal reasons that have nothing to do with the actual work or providing the service that are sort of beyond at least my interest or understanding or there may be some practical reasons. Maybe we, when you get to a certain size, it makes sense to do this. Any thoughts there? I'll be honest. I, I, I never have thought about it. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I think, you know, having grown up in, in the hometown of Walmart and, and watched how they develop things and 
they have a real estate division and they have a facilities division and they have a, you know, so they have all these wholly owned subsidiaries. And I would, based on that background, think that there, there is, um, financial reasons for a separation of duty Mm -hmm. and the budgets. Uh, but as far as Ascension goes, I honestly don't know. Okay. Well, listen, it's an interesting point. I think I said it probably a lot to do with with legal and taxes and God knows what, and things that, uh, I'm very, have a limited understanding for, but respect people who do certainly. Um, all right. So let's, um, let's just start big picture. Sort of what, what are you thinking about these days? What kind of trends are you watching? What's top of mind? Obviously the buzz is, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's out there. We've got to be cognizant of it and we have to, in my mind, figure out how to embrace it for, for our betterment in terms of cyber defense strategy, automation of workflows, what, whatever we could come up with. But that's not the thing that keeps me up at night. Um, Nothing really does. I shouldn't say that. I sleep pretty good. But if if I wake up, my brain is usually thinking about something very basic, very fundamental. Um, patch management, vulnerability management, uh, ex- uh, securing our perimeter. What what do we have technologically that's exposed to the internet that that may have a um, a chink in the armor, so to speak? That the you know the enemy enemy so called enemy out there is is looking for to take advantage of. So I um you know showing my age former Dungeons and Dragons kid you know I think in terms of castles and moats and I try to use that analogy as you know defense and layers right you've got the moat you've got the tar you've got the spikes you've got the wall you've got the door the drawbridge you know each layer of defense. And so when I think in terms of cyber, I think that way, it's what's at the most exterior? How do we ensure that we're protected and then step in a layer and go from there? And all of that really boils down to uh, the CIS controls. Um, I don't know that anyone can ever perfect one, two, and three to say that they've gone beyond that with uh, any semblance of, of perfection or absolution. It's just not possible. Things change. Inventory is key. If you don't know what you don't have, then you can't protect it. Uh, so um, I really do try to settle myself in, into the fundamentals and shy away from the shiny new things. I don't believe in silver bullets. I believe in understanding the context and use case and really understanding the, the details. We can solve pretty much anything with technology if we understand the requirements, the limitations, and in our own capabilities. All right, very good. So let's let's go into that a little bit. So you sleep pretty well, um, which is great. And I want to actually, in a serious sense, I want to talk a little bit more about that because I think there's a lot of cyber professionals who don't. I want to try and figure out what are some of the reasons they might not. Maybe we can help them. Uh, But let's first start with the idea that you know, you're sort of a cyber hygiene guy focusing on the basic blocking and tackling. I hear that a lot. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you're trying to th- you're trying to think, you know, what did I miss? What's out there that I didn't see? What's hanging out there that's dangerous, that exposed to the Internet? What are some of the ways that 
you know, when you get into the office after pondering that, that you try and go about finding those holes. So you can work from the outside in or the inside out. So from the outside, you can utilize technologies that scan scan your perimeter, no different than uh, a cyber threat or hacker would do. Uh, there's all sorts of open source tools. There's all sorts of paid tools that can be leveraged to look at your IP ranges uh, exposed to the internet. Uh, just like it's basically think of it as an external vulnerability scanner looking for holes in the armor. Um, from the inside out, uh, back to the inventory. I, I believe that IP addresses and NATed IP addresses are a form of inventory. And you have to understand what that IP space and range looks like, and then understand your your DMZ and your pathway from the inside out or outside in, so that you can tie off on that uh, and and really assess uh, what's going on, and and hopefully find systems that aren't necessarily as secure at all, and and fi- fix it, get them off the internet, or put controls in place to secure them. So when you're talking about inventory, are we talking, um, we think mostly devices or are we think in terms of, you know, biomedical devices, pumps, things like that, or are we thinking applications as well? Are we thinking both? Every, everything. Mm-hmm. CS control one would be hardware. Two is your software and your applications. And I throw IP addresses in there because they're not, they're not a tangible asset but they're relevant to the hardware where it sits and how it communicates. And you need to understand it's, it's just like the mailbox in front of the house on the country road. Right. And so knowing that address where it exists uh, means that you also then have to understand how to protect it. If somebody pulls up in the driveway. So uh, I think about the, our perimeter in that, in that regard. So if you, if you have a sound, procurement process to where everything being purchased, new applications, new devices is coming through security in in a sort of a formal way. Does this problem get, you know, mitigated quite a bit? And the problem where it comes up a lot will be if many applications and devices are coming into the organization without security being informed. You talk about inventory, right? How do we get our arms around an inventory if new inventory keeps coming in and we don't know about it. So talk about that dynamic. Sure. The establishment of a, a risk assessment or a technical assessment at, at the beginning of the procurement process uh, is imperative because you want to identify uh, the need of an organization or the want. They're bringing it forward for financial approval before they can gain approval. It has to pass uh, enterprise architectural reviews, uh, make sure it uh, falls within a reference architecture or a standard. So in order to control um, the de-standardization of an organization, you have to follow a standard. So you, you, you want to eliminate things coming in that deviate from, from a said standard. Um, you want to understand the risk. And so to your point, having a system that puts a placeholder in your database once the finances are approved and the order is placed so that you have a reconciliation point when it arrives at the dock or into the facility. 
And you can say, I was expecting one of these and I got one of these. Now I have a, a life beginning of an asset. So that cradle aspect of it. And then um, the same thing with applications. The, the, the procurement process is the front door to understanding what may or may not come into the environment and, and be able to catalog that in a, into a database as, as your inventory going forward. It's not easy to get that governance in place, to get that culture of it's got to go through security. You're in a massive organization. I'm sure things are popping up left and right and all the time. You used a really cool word that, that I like a lot, the destandardization, which to me is that's that's a horrifying place to be as a health system, right? We don't want to go there because that's everything spinning out of control. We want standardization controls. Everything's got to be reviewed. But I want you to talk about um, moving towards standardization and starting to ingrain process and culture in the organization so they understand the importance of coming through IT security and your exceptions become rarer. So I think the challenge in healthcare and, and I, I think I can say this honestly, having been a clinician, having been an, a, a trauma critical care nurse for several years, physicians and clinicians historically have their, their favorites, the, 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 the medical device or, or the tool or the instrument that they prefer no different than a mechanic likes, you know, snap on or craftsman. Right. And so when you when you take that into consideration and you look at what's happened over time, often in healthcare you have a lack of standards. You've got a little bit of everything everywhere. And in order to to rationalize that, I think the key is is a form of governance that is a, that has to be established that utilizes the clinical peers. So the physicians in radiology, the physicians in cardiology that lead the organization and set the tone are the ones that should weigh in on what the standard should be based on tools, diagnostics, medical devices, et cetera. And if you can establish that, then you give them the choice. And hopefully we're not there yet, but I would like to see us someday be to a a single or no more than dual source vendor model where we have no more than three or four model versions of a particular, say, X-ray machine or a, a particular ultrasound. And there's a couple of reasons, several reasons actually behind it that kind of go un, uh, without consideration or not thought about. Standards decrease support overhead cost. Standards drive up the ability to negotiate better deals. Now let's talk about how it impacts your staff. In this world we live today, we are short-staffed even more than we ever were in the clinical space. And they're looking for creative ways, not just our organization, healthcare in general, to shift staff to locations to load balance the need for care in those facilities based on census. If you take me as a nurse from one ICU to the other and the equipment is different, I'm going to have a learning curve. I'm going to have some roadblocks and some limitations to my ability to, to jump into that job and be effective. And so standards also 
help in regard to the mobilization of clinicians across multiple footprints of an organization so that you can load balance staff potentially with the least amount of disruption. That's really, really great stuff. Um, that concept of, I guess, in every area, uh, every type of device related to its clinical usage, to get it down to a few choices as opposed to whatever you want, right? So that's a process of IT and IT security having conversations with clinical leaders and explaining the why, and here's where we want to go, here's why, and, you know, in relation to the current state. So there's always a current state, right? There may be, in a particular niche, there may be six applications currently in use in a particular area, and you want to have that conversation with that clinical leader to say, we would like to get down to two or three. Um, and obviously, you know, you talk about people being tied to their favorite tool. I interviewed a CISO the other day who talked about how it's so much harder than you think to get anyone to give up their favorite tool. So application rationalization is really, really hard when you get down to it. And she said her goal, she had a goal and the project was much slower than she had hoped. She had hoped to reduce by a certain amount per year. It maybe got 30% of that because when the rubber hits the road, nobody wants to give up their tool. Your thoughts around that? Well, listen, I, I'll be the first to admit I'm a creature of habit and I like, I like my, my things. Right. Um, and, and I had my, my favorites when, when I was at the bedside too, um, you know, particular monitor over another or whatever. Right. We all have our favorite pens and pencils for crying out loud. <laughs> so when I think of, uh, application rationalization, there, there is a, uh, it feels right. It feels good because that's the way I've always done it. On the back side of that, uh, I would say the challenge in healthcare uh, is is often a lack of lifecycle management. What I mean by that is we've got applications in our environment that have exceeded their useful life, meaning they're typically not supported and can't be patched. So I'm speaking from a security lens, looking at how applications get to where they are. And we're a budget constrained environment. And so we, we tend to, you know, wear the wheels off the car <laughs> before we change them. And applications are no different. And so I think it's quite frankly, less of the favorite thing and more of a money driven behavior where we have to make do with what we have. And unfortunately, um, where we sit today, security is right in the middle of that. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, not so much. It, was, it wasn't it was really considered like med devices and applications. Yeah, security patch this, whatever. It, it just didn't have the attention that it has today, rightly so. So I think for, and, and I'm speaking outside of healthcare now because I've, I've lived in IT for 20 plus years, 30, I guess. Gosh, I'm getting old. Um <laughs> <laughs> apps rationalization is one of the hardest things to do because you're you're attempting to collapse what already exists and do it without disruption or disfavor. It's, it's, you can't make everybody happy. And so 
as you are decommissioning an application, you're also having to, you know, leave the ship and head to the other one through the lifeboat. So that transition period, to, you know, that organizational change management becomes key uh, so that you lessen the disruption, you set the expectation, and hopefully you've trained your staff adequately to move to the new system um, so you can jettison the old. Uh that's not an easy process. It, you know, if, if, if we didn't have people, we wouldn't have problems is one of the things I say. And so, um, you know, if it was just a technology swap, no big deal. Right. But we have human beings involved, especially in healthcare. So we have to be aware of that. Right. Uh, that all makes perfect sense. Um, so we know application rationalization, it's something we would love to do. It's really, really hard, but, Having said that, understanding how difficult it is to get rid of something makes us much more uh, cautious and and uh, careful about what we bring in. Is Absolutely. that true? Because now that we know, we know the effects of um, destandardization. Back to your word, we know the effects of that. We want to keep that from happening. So now. When it comes through IT and IT security, we want to do everything possible to try and convince you to either work with what you have or work with what another part of the organization has or stay within that uh, reduced suite of two or three products. And and we want to do everything possible to keep you from picking that one-off mom and pop, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, the... The, the getting 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 something into the organization through through the different gates that I discussed earlier, you know, pre procurement assessments, uh, architectural reviews, security reviews, etc., are, are really key going forward, especially now. Um, gosh, when back in I was in the last time I did nursing was like 1988 or 99. And, and this was at the dawn of the electronic medical record. Everything we did was pen and paper, old school. Uh, and as we, I began to see the EMRs and the technology come along, it was fascinating to think about where we would be. Well, guess what? Here we are in the future and I'm looking back on, wow. And it's even more important now, today, uh, in the last five years alone, looking at the evolution of applications and security and the threats that come our way, it, it's often overwhelming. Um, and it does make it difficult to get your arms around it. But I think the importance of that, again, going back to having standards and limited quantities of things uh, benefit many in the long run. Again, you got to set the expectations and have people buy in and understand why it's important. Very good. All right. So you said that you were a, a critical care nurse. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that's, that's really interesting um, in terms of, you know, I'd like to discuss how that I, I'm, I am sure that having had that experience helps you be a better cyber leader. Um, and the, the same CISO I was referring to before uh, spoke about the importance of cyber uh, individuals knowing operations, and she instituted rounding, 10 hours of required being out in the field and rounding for everybody in cyber so they would know what sort of operations they're supporting. And you understand the criticality better, perhaps, if you're out, if you've been out there, of something being down, 
you know, you have a better understanding of what it means when this is down. Um, but your thoughts around, you know, how it's helped you be a better cyber leader, your clinical experience, and if you agree that it's super important for cyber folks to really get out there and see what's going on. I absolutely think it's it's helped me in, in this in this role. Um, I absolutely have a heart for the clinicians that struggle with technology because it's not it's not providing them what they expect and at the time they need it. And it's it's not just you know, I honestly can say to a clinician that's very frustrated, look, I've been in your shoes and I've had those conversations. They're like, no, you haven't. I go, hold, hold up a second. I used to be in the ICU. I know I really do mean this genuinely. I understand what it means to have these challenges and these downtimes. It's terrible. It's hard. The, the fact that technology in healthcare has become a force multiplier for the clinicians. What I mean by that, back when I was in the ICU, you couldn't handle more than two patients. It was mm -hmm. impossible. That was the, the you know, patient to nurse ratio. Now it's it's much greater than that. But the reason for it is because we have the technology that gives them the visibility from a remote location down the hall or whatever, the means by which to monitor, to take care of those patients. If something goes down, that force multiplier goes away. And now we have some problems and some challenges. So I absolutely can relate wholeheartedly to the clinician's work and the level of stress uh, and how hard it is when things don't go well. I also, um, I'm trying to think of your second part of the question in terms of rounding. Yeah. We, we do the same. Uh, we, we do uh, encourage and want our people to be uh, in the healthcare um, theater, if you will, walk in the halls, doing rounding, having an understanding, more importantly, having a relationship, have a relationship with people so that when there is a problem, they don't see a strange face. They don't understand with frustration going, who's that person in here? Get them out. As opposed to, oh, that's the person that can help me. I know them. They come around all the time. We've got a great relationship. So I think building the relationships, forming the understanding and the communication, educating one another to, to the frustrations through through that visibility and experience is extremely important in, in healthcare and in healthcare cybersecurity. Yeah, great points. Great points. So um, folks should really get out there and round because, as you said, when when you're dealing with users and they're frustrated, you're able to say to them, I've been in your shoes. Um, so for folks that have not come up through the clinical side, you at least want to be able to say, hey, I've spent a lot of time out here in the field and I'll tell you exactly what I've done. And that'll probably change their tone with you. If they if you say I've you know, I've spent this many hours and, or even better, like to what you were alluding to, you know, we've met, so, you know, I've been out here in the field, so right. they're going to have a much different, different tone in that conversation. Right. Absolutely. All right. Very it's good. So, go ahead, please. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's harder to get mad at somebody that you've broken bread with. So, mm -hmm. you know, sharing a meal sometimes and, and the, the relationship that comes from that is, yeah, it, it, you have a lot more grace for one another. So again, great relationships are extremely important. Yeah, great way to put it, having grace uh, for each other. Great way to put it. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. Goes fast. Um, I do want to go back to that up at night concept. Um, I do think that, you know, 
it's a tough job. I was spoken to a, I was speaking to one of CIOs I'm friend with friendly with who said he thinks it's the toughest job out there. Um, CISO type work and the type of work you do director of cybersecurity um, because it's just, it's tough. It's, it's, it seems like it would be, it could be quite stressful um, and it would be difficult unless you had this worked out, how you're going to do this mentally it would be difficult to disengage and that you could all, you could sort of eat yourself up thinking about it, worrying about it. What's, what am I missing? What, when's it coming? When am I getting that notification that we've been hit by ransomware? And, you know, is it all going to be on me? Is my job on the line when something goes down? Um, that whole up at night concept. So for those that are having trouble with that and, and are having are up at night, uh, what's your best advice for them? You got to have a hobby. My dad used to ask me out of college. He knew I worked my tail off because I was trying to pay off student loans. And, and uh, you know, I was excited because I had money in my, in my pocket, you know. But he'd always say, how are you doing? We'd talk a little bit. And his next question would be, what, what are you doing for fun? What are your hobbies? And that was his way of saying, hey, I really respect what you're doing, but you got to have time for yourself. And so I would say that to anybody that asked me, you you have to in, uh, intentionally have time for yourself where you you can disconnect. Um, I spent this weekend working on one of my Jeeps. It was therapeutic. It was awesome. Cell phone wasn't near me. Had the radio going. Oil in my fingers. Just you know, mad at mad as a hornet at certain things because they weren't going my way. But at the end of it, I went, hey. I, I did that and I had the mental break and it was completely different than thinking through cybersecurity or the stress of it, uh, albeit a different form of stress, right? I'm not a mechanic by trade, but I felt like I could do it myself. So give it a shot. I think that's brilliant advice. I totally agree with you. Uh, something that you could sort of lose yourself in, right? right? That you enjoy and you can lose yourself in um, and it creates that mental break. You know, you don't need to, it's impossible to turn your mind off, right? You don't get to flip the switch off, but you can make it go somewhere else where, where it's a more pleasant place to be for a while. Right. I agree. Absolutely agree. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, any other final word of advice, um, other than that for your colleagues, uh, things that you found that have made you successful, any kind of, uh, final parting piece of advice. Take a bath, hygiene, cyber hygiene. Cyber hygiene. I, I think fundamentals um, are key. I'm, I'm, I'm asked a lot, you know, what are the technologies of today and tomorrow? Well, they're going to be fantastic, but the reality is you got to stick to your fundamentals. You got to do your basic blocking and tackling. And in healthcare, we don't have the budget or the luxury of going after the really cool, shiny thing, right? We have to be very diligent. Typically, when we get something new, it's because we're replacing something and leaving it behind. It's not a net new ad. And so all of that to say, be careful in your thought process. Don't get overly zealous with silver bullets. Stick to your hygiene. And cybersecurity is everybody's responsibility. It's not just mine or my teams. Uh, it's it's everybody out there in, in the world, quite frankly. We, we see it in our banking. We have a pin we have to enter. We've got dual factor authentication. We don't think about those things when we're in healthcare, but it's the exact same security posture you have at your bank. So I use those analogies a lot when people are frustrated because we institute something new. And I'll say, well, 
what do you do with your bank? You, you've got a phone, right? Does it, does it text you? Does it email you and say, can you please confirm with this pen? Well, yeah, that's, we're doing the same thing. It's no different. So I, I think you just, you know, take a step back, take a deep breath, focus on the fundamentals, try not to get too wound up about things um, and, and, and enjoy what you do, but know that everybody's got to play a part. Awesome, Skip. That was wonderful. I think, I think people are really going to enjoy it. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it.